I want to uh, start by telling you that words, words are incredibly powerful, are they not? Anybody, anybody encountered the power of words this week? <laughs> words are incredibly powerful. Our words can be used to encourage or discourage. They can be used to inform or misinform. They can be used to commend or to criticize, to speak truth or tell a lie. Words can actually be used to express love. However, I'm one that says, uh, you can tell me you love me, but what do your actions say? Say it. Thank you, I just did. I'll say it again. <laughs> we could say we love somebody, but what does our actions say? I hear a lot of people talking about how they love the Lord, but then I turn and I watch their actions to see what they say. See, our words express love or declare hate, and ultimately, our words can actually bring God the honor and the glory that He deserves, or sadly, and many times I think sadly, Many times our words can bring him disgrace. As believers, we would say, I was talking to the guys the other day, and I had this thing marinating on my heart. We would say that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. So everybody's heard that. We would say Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith, but I wonder how much more could God, or how much more would God use us Think about it this way, if we would declare in our hearts, if we would decide to look at Jesus and say, Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of my words. What if Jesus became the author and the finisher of your words? That means in our day and age, you see, when I was coming up through high school, when Krista wanted to hear from me, and she always wanted to hear from me, she would do this funny little thing. You guys have no clue what she would do. She would tell her friends, well that too, she would tell her friends that she wanted to talk to me or such and such and such and meet her at her locker. I know that now kids don't even use their locker. They just throw all their books in their backpack because they're afraid to leave anything in their locker for fear that someone will steal them. So here's the thing. Here's another little thing she used to do. She used to write me little notes. And then there was a way, and I don't even remember, you could fold the paper like on a triangle and then fold it again, fold it again, and then it would tuck together and see some of you ladies are shaking your head and you know what I'm talking about. And only it seemed like, I, listen, I didn't know how to do that. But she did, so she would write me little notes and tell me what she wanted to tell me. Which was, I love you. No, no. <laughs> no, it took, her, it took me a lot of time to convince her that she loved me. <laughs> I had to work at that. Uh, but listen, we, our words are incredibly powerful. And I just think, and I believe this, if we in our hearts would say, Jesus, I not only trust you to be the author and the finisher of my faith, but Lord, today, from this day forward, I want to trust you to become the author and the finisher of my words. I think we would all be much happier. <laughs> Twelve of you agree. I think your life would be much better if you would allow the Lord to teach you what to say. 
You think about the story. I'm reminded of the story over in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, and and this is going to be like a stretch. Some of you are going to be like, whoa, where's he going with this? But in Exodus chapter 3, you remember God says to Moses, he says, I have seen the affliction of my people. And he says, I want you to go, Moses, and, and, and he says, I want you to go, and you're going to lead my children out of Israel. And Moses is like, uh, who am I that I should go, right? He asked God, who am I should I go? And then you go on the story, and you look at the story from God's word, and Moses, after he says, who am I that I should go, Moses says, uh, uh, what, what do I say? Who do, who do I tell them sent me? And he says, you tell them that I am, that I am sent you. And, and Moses goes, uh, okay, but if I say that, they're not going to believe me. Because you see, they know that I murdered a guy back there in Egypt. They're not going to believe me. When they figure out who I am, they're not going to believe me if I tell them that God sent them. So what do I do? And so you remember the rest of the story. God gives Moses a sign. He says, what's that in your hand? Throw it down and it becomes a serpent. Pick it back up. Then put your hand in your breast and then pull it out. It's leprous. Put it back in. It comes out clean. And he says, if they don't believe you on the first sign, they'll believe you for the second sign. And then Moses says this in Exodus chapter 4. Guys, if you could show it in verse number 10 and following. And Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Stop for a second. Ask yourself the question this morning, who made your mouth? The Lord says, who hath made thy mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? And then he says this in verse 12. I love the Lord's emphatic you know, determination. He says, now therefore. What does he say? He says, no more questions. He says, the time for asking me questions is over, Moses. I've told you what I want you to do. Now therefore, go. And he says, I will be with thy with thy mouth, and he says, and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. Now, I don't want to take the story out of context, but I want us to use the principle of what God said to Moses to encourage ourselves, but to challenge ourselves. Because you see, I'm just crazy enough to believe that what the Lord promised to Moses when he said, go, and I will be with thy mouth, and I will teach you what you will say. I just happen to believe that if God would do that for Moses, he'll do it for us. Am I right? I just happen to believe that the same God who promised Moses, hey, I'll go with you and I'll be with your mouth. I'll keep you from making mistakes. And I'll teach you what you will say will do the same thing for you and me. Oh, I wish, I wish so many people would see this and take this principle to heart. Listen, remember, we said, our, our definition, we said a resolution is a firm decision to do or not to do something. When I was talking about this the other day and I was really searching for help because I, I will tell you guys, I've been through it this week. I felt terrible and Larry was there and Colby and we were talking about my idea for a message and Larry brought up a great point and he reminded me of this. He, he said, the truth is that it takes a conscious effort to change anything. 
And so we started talking about the idea of resolutions and, and the idea to resolve to do better with our mouth and the idea that it takes a conscious effort to change anything, including the way we communicate. However, as Larry pointed out, it also takes a conscious effort not to change. See, it takes a conscious effort in the husband and the wife relationship when the husband says, I will not be moved. You just made a conscious decision, sir. When the wife says, it's not going to be that way, it's going to be my way or highway, haven't you heard? If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, and she has that attitude, that's a conscious effort that's going to be made. When the child does not respect mom or dad, and the child speaks uh, in a way that is not honoring to their parents, that's a conscious effort. And so the, the point is that if we're going to resolve to change anything, we have to make a firm decision to do something. And so the question becomes, what do we do? Will we continue to make the same mistakes that we are prone to make when we communicate according to our own thoughts, according to our own ways, and according to my own selfish behaviors? Or will I learn to communicate? Will I make an effort, if you please, to communicate in a way that honors God and draws other people to Him? And so I offer a few suggestions from God's Word. You say, well, what do you have for us? I have nothing for you. I like to, I'm like Joseph when Joseph was brought out of the prison and Pharaoh had a dream and, and the Pharaoh said, Joseph, I need you to give me an answer of peace. And Joseph said, no, it's not within me to give you an answer of peace, but God will give you an answer of peace. Folks, today, God will give you an answer of peace regarding how we communicate. But before we speak, that's the title of the message, before we speak, I think we ought to see from Scripture a few things. And so let's notice a few things with me. Number one, before we speak, we need to hide God's Word in our heart. we got to hide God's Word in our heart. This is, an, this is such an important first step because our words actually indicate to others what is actually going on deep down inside of our heart. In fact, let me flip over here because Jesus teaches us that our words are actually connected to our hearts. And actually, in Matthew chapter 15, while he's explaining a parable to his disciples, notice what he says in Matthew chapter 15, verse number 18. He says, those things, or the things which proceed out of the mouth, come from where? The heart, and they defile the man. In fact, three chapters earlier, he's speaking to um, the scribes and the Pharisees and whatnot, and he reveals this idea or this picture that a tree would be known by its fruit, right? And we've talked a lot over time about us being the vine and or, or, uh, uh, we're connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, right? That we're the fruit that's connected to the vine. And so Jesus, he says, a tree would be known by its fruit. In this case, what he's actually talking about in Matthew chapter 12 is the words that proceed out of our mouth. And so notice what he says in verse 34 and 35. He says this, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? He says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Oh, folks, our words are so important. Do you agree? Let me ask a question. Let me take a quick poll because this isn't even my thought. Has anybody here ever been hurt by somebody, others, somebody else's words? Any, be honest. 
I mean, if somebody, you, you got your feelings hurt or you were hurt or you were criticized or you were condemned, you were slandered, anybody ever had that happen in their life? Let me ask you another question. Has anybody ever been encouraged by somebody else's words? Let me see your hands. You see what I'm saying? Words are incredibly powerful. It could go one way or the other. This is why I think we need to hide God's word in our heart. In verse 2 of our text, in verse 2 of our opening text that Travis read, the Bible says the tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright. Can I tell you, useful knowledge, useful knowledge actually comes from God's word. And, and what this, this verse is reminding us is that the heart of the wise person, the heart of the wise person is filled with useful knowledge, and when that useful knowledge is put to use uh, or communicated to one another, it, it's going to reap uh, good things, i.e., like when you think about useful knowledge, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about moral things, uh, spiritual things, e evangelical things, the point is is here that if I'm going to, or if you or I are going to comfort, if I'm going to edify somebody, if I'm going to try and encourage or instruct somebody, the point is that I need to be hiding God's word in my heart. And the way I hide God's word in my heart is by listening to God's word. That's why it's so crazy to me that we have a whole generation of Lone Ranger Christians. We have a generation that say, ah, I, I know that they say I should be at church and I ought to come to worship. Listen, we are the church. It isn't a matter of being at church. It's actually coming together as the church to worship our King, Jesus Christ. It has, listen, uh, th this building is nothing more than a place to gather. It didn't matter if we met at my house or your house. The point is we gather together to worship Jesus, right? And so we, 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 we hide God's word when we hear it. The more we hear it, the easier it becomes to hide. The more I actually read God's word, the easier it becomes to hide. It's like studying for a test, right, students? Like if you study for a test, I don't know how you do it, but when I was going through college, after I got out of the military, I kind of did things different. I went all through high school, and then I got out of high school, and I was in the Marine Corps, and then I did in the Army, and then all of a sudden God's like, go back to school. And I'm like, are you crazy? I don't want to go back and take English again. I don't want to have to answer what an adverb is or pronouns and things like that. But I can tell you when I got in those classes, for me it was not only about hearing the professor, it was about taking good notes, right? And then what I would do is I would study those notes. See, if I'm going to hide God's word in my heart, I've got to hear God's word. I've got to read God's word. I've got to study God's word. The same is true for each and every one of us. In fact, the psalmist, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse number 10 and 11, notice what he says. He says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in verse number 10, yeah, I'm correct. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Verse number 11 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If I'm not seeking the Lord on a regular or daily basis, right, I cannot expect, nor can any of us expect, that we are going to speak in a way that always brings him honor and glory. It's just not going to happen. 
And here's the thing. I want to remind everybody in this room because that verse number 11 sometimes rubs us the wrong way when it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee because it implies that we must be memorizing Scripture. Can I tell you that Scripture memorization isn't just for Awana kids? I have memorized, guys, I'm just going to be very transparent with you. All the Scripture that I have memorized other than basic verses, right? Happened since my mid-twenties. That's not something to glory in, but it's just a reminder that anything that I have memorized from God's Word has come at a, at a, at a later point in my life. And so that's why we're trying to encourage children to start memorizing Scripture when they're young so they get in the habit of doing it because it's, it's much harder as we get older to create a new habit. But the reality is memorizing God's Word isn't just for children. You see, when we memorize Scripture, actually the more Scripture we memorize, the greater biblical vocabulary we have and the greater volume of Scriptures I have to pull from. Right, And so when somebody comes to me with a problem or somebody is angry with me and they come attacking me, then I know that I need to bless that person. The person that is trying to despitefully use me, I need to pray for them and encourage them, right? Because I hear that from God's word. That's what Jesus said to do. And so it's incredibly important that we memorize scripture. And the truth is, let's be honest with one another. When we rely on ourselves, we typically mess things up, don't we? <laughs> I've, I've been there, I rely on myself, and I think, I've got a great answer. <laughs> no, you don't. I've got a great answer. I tell myself all this time, and I, 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 I need that little angel saying, no, you don't, right? And, uh, but when I rely on my own self, I mess things up. But when I hide God's word in my heart, it's amazing to me how many times the Holy Spirit of God brings memory recall to me. It's like, it's like the Holy Spirit's power in one's life is incredibly important. It brings back to mind all those scriptures. In fact, James, James says this in James 3.8. He reminds us that the tongue cannot be tamed by man because it's an unruly evil. He says it's full of deadly poison. That's why, that's why we need God's help. It, it cannot be, I can't tame the tongue by myself. That's why I need God's help. Listen, words are good. The ability to speak is good. In fact, God created us after his own image. And as such, he created us to communicate not only with him, but with one another. And as I look around, in fact, this week there was a poll on the Battlefield Facebook page. If you had two methods to choose to communicate, which would you choose? I didn't answer because I would choose neither. I mean, if, if I had to take a choice out of those, I guess I would say phone because at least I'd be able to hear somebody's voice. But do you know I asked Colby the other day to give me the statistics on it, and as of the other day, it was a dead heat. People were choosing to either communicate by phone or by text, and it was a dead heat. The reason I think people want to communicate like this is because we have forgotten and lost the art of communication. It's much easier to be angry right here. I can be angry at my phone. I can be angry with you. And I don't have to face you. It's easy to hide behind a little phone, isn't it? Or an iPad or whatever you do your, you know. I think they ought to make those, those things about this big. Like, 
so that the, the, so that the, the letters are like this big. I'm the world's worst texter. I'm like this. I'm like. <laughs> and then I see people, they're like this. They're like, that, that thumb, they got carpal tunnel thumb. I don't know. Listen, God communicates with us through his word so that we can know him. But not only so that we can know him, so that we can understand him. That's why communication is so incredibly important. Proverbs 3.1 says, my son, the wise man says this, my son, forget not my law, but let thy heart keep my commandments. Proverbs 4.4, he taught me also and said unto me, let thy heart retain my words and keep my commandments and live. Proverbs 4.20 and 21, my son, attend to my words, incline thine ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Oh, folks, according to God's word, our hearts, our minds, and our attitudes are to be shaped by God's holy word. Think about it. My heart, my mind, and my attitude should be shaped from his word. But here's the rub, I, as I always say. I always have something where I say, here's the rub. If we're not saturating my heart, our hearts and our minds in the word of God, chances are that my speech, verbal or nonverbal, is not going to reflect the heart of God. Chances are, if I'm not saturating my heart and my mind in God's word, my communication, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, is not going to communicate the heart of God. It's going to communicate the heart of me. And folks, I want to encourage you, because as I look around, and some of you say, well, I never see you comment on certain things. You're right. There's a reason for that. There's a real reason for that. Some things I think if you're going to comment about something, I think we ought to have the discussion face to face. Right? But I want to encourage you. If you are always embroiled, that's a wonderful word. If you're always embroiled in criticism, controversy, corrupt communication, what we're actually doing is revealing our own problem, not somebody else's. There's a problem in the heart. There's a problem in the heart, and I want you to know that the only one that can take away that problem is Jesus Christ. If you're embroiled in controversy, criticism, or corrupt communication, you can look up that in the Greek from corrupt communication from Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 29. If you're involved in that type of communication, and that's the extent of your life right now, or if that's been, you know, through the years, maybe you've just struggled with this. The only one that's going to take care of that heart problem is Jesus. Give it over to Jesus. Hide God's word in your heart. Listen, someone has said the mouth is simply a microphone for the heart. Oh, Lord, help us to hide your word in our hearts. Number two, before we speak, we not only need to hide God's word in our heart, but before we speak, we need to listen and think about what we're going to say. I think many times we get the old Peter syndrome. Peter had to put his foot in his mouth a lot of times, didn't he? We get Peter syndrome. The reality check is people push your buttons. Anybody been pushed? Anybody's button been pushed this week by somebody? It's like, oh, that person just pushes my button. I can't say, I can, if I see him in Walmart, I head the other way, right? You ever run, anybody, honest, you got that kind of person in your life that pushes your button? People are going to push your buttons, have you ever noticed this too? How angry people make other people angry? I don't like to hang out with angry people. I'll just be honest with you. And uh, listen, angry people have a way of making other people angry. 
In verse 1 of our text that Travis read, the Bible says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer there in the Hebrew actually means mild or gentle words actually delivered with kindness and humility. There's an old saying that I say a lot of times when I do marriage counseling. I say when, when couples come to me and, and they have a disagreement or some type of issue, they're, they're struggling to figure out what's the biblical choice to make. I always tell couples it takes two to tango. You can insert the word tangle if you'd like that better. It takes two to tangle, right? And so uh, the point is, if somebody is angry with me and I get angry right back at them, guess what? I've entered into the tango or the tangle fest, right? A soft answer turns away wrath. Listen, Proverbs 26, 21 says, As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Do you struggle with anger? I want to encourage you. As Larry said, it takes a conscious effort. It takes a conscious effort to deal with that. If, if that's one of the struggles you have, listen, anger always gives way to more anger. Rage gives way to more rage. But you know, on the opposite side, kindness tends to give way to more kindness. If we would just learn to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. By the way, Jesus is our example in this as well. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible reminds us in verse 21 and following, it says, For even hereto, hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Notice, here's the key. When, who, when he was reviled, Notice what it says, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When he was reviled, when he was talked about, when he was, when he was uh, in the midst of his suffering, he spoke not a curse word, he spoke not an evil word to his tormentors. We see that in scripture. He's our example. A soft answer turns away wrath. And so before we speak, we need to listen to what people are saying and hear what they're saying and think about what we're going to say. When I entered the Marine Corps, I was at Marine Corps boot camp in Paris Island, South Carolina, and I had a drill instructor. He was nasty. He was nasty. I'm just going to be honest with you. He was a nasty man. And he always used to say, he'd say, quit running your jib. What he was talking about was quit running your mouth. He always told us, he said, quit running your jib. I think all of us would do ourselves a favor if we would learn that lesson from that old Marine Corps drill instructor who told me, quit running your jib. See, we have to take time to listen and hear what people are saying before we speak. James actually addresses this idea in James chapter 1 in verse number 19. He says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak and slow to wrath for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God listen I'm afraid we're not very good at listening I'm serious we're not good at listening and here's the thing if you're so does anybody ever uh, no I don't want to ask this because then I'm going to say something venting I was going to ask if anybody liked to vent you know if you're a venter venting is the foolish way of increasing conflict 
It's a foolish way of increasing conflict. If I go home, and I'm going to pick up my wife, if I go home and things aren't just as I think they ought to be, and I start venting, well, I always come home and the dinner's never ready and this is never done the way I want it. Am, am, I, am I helping my case out? Ladies, am I helping my cause? Am I sleeping on the couch? Or in the guest bedroom? <laughs> right? Venting, venting is never the answer. It's never the answer, guys. That was, that was for free. By the way, ladies, I know that the saying is, if mom ain't happy, no one's happy. But it goes both ways. Right? If daddy ain't happy, daddy ain't happy. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, if I'm not happy, mom's like, well, fine with it. <laughs> hey, kids, we're going to the movies, right? <laughs> and dad's not coming, no. <laughs> it's incredibly important, this gift of communication. Guys, I want you to laugh because God gave us this beautiful gift of speech, but he wants us to use it the right way. So before we speak, hide God's word in our heart. Before we speak, let's take time to listen and to hear what other people are saying. Ecclesiastes 3 in chapter 7, you know the wise man Solomon, he's looking around trying to figure everything out. He said that there's a time to keep silent and a time to speak. I believe that we would do ourselves and our world a good if we would just learn to listen and truly hear people to find out what they're really saying before we drop the hammer, so to speak, with a bunch of grievous words, as verse number one says. I was reading in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey lists the five levels of listening as follows. Here are the five levels of listening. I want you to listen and figure out where you fall in line. Number one level of listening, ignoring. Number two level of listening, pretending to listen. Number three level of listening, and many of us suffer from this, it's called selective listening. Number four level of listening is attentive listening. And number five level of listening is emphatic, empathetic listening. Excuse me, empathetic listening. Oh, listen, where do we fall on this scale when it comes to listening? Proverbs has a lot to say about listening. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 6, the Bible says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. You say, well, what's the point? The implication is that if I'm going to get any wisdom or any knowledge from the Lord, I've got to be willing to listen, Right? So Proverbs 2, 6. Proverbs 1, 5 says a wise man will hear and will increase in learning. So the point is the more that I listen, the more that I hear, the more that I learn. Proverbs 5, 1. Solomon said, my son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding. Oh, listen, we could go on and on and on. We just don't have time. The Bible talks an awful lot about listening. In Proverbs 29, in verse 20, the Bible says, seest thou a man that is hasty in his words, there is more hope of a fool than him. The implication of this verse, it's reminding us that we need to be thinking about what we're going to say before we say it. Oh, don't be hasty with your words. See, a lot of us, we hear something and we have a knee-jerk reaction. We're going to say something to something. Whoa, slow, slow the train down a second. And remember, 
As I told our Bible study class this morning, if you see someone overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of meekness, considering your own self, lest you also be tempted. Oh, we need to be considerate. We need to listen and think about what we're going to say before we say it. Proverbs 15, 28 says this, The heart of the righteous actually studies to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Oh, may the Lord help us to listen and think before we speak. And then I close the message just with this simple thought. Before we speak, we need to consider twofold. Number one, how we will best represent Jesus Christ. And then consider how our words, how they might not only best represent Jesus Christ, but how they might affect others. How do our words affect others? See Proverbs verse, chapter 18 and verse 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat of the fruit thereof. In James chapter 3 and verse number 6, the Bible refers to the tongue as a fire, a world of iniquity, which is why we must hide God's word in our heart, and it's why we need to listen and think about what we're going to say. In verse 4 of our text that Travis read, the Bible actually says this, a wholesome tongue, I love that, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness, and what that word perverseness is speaking of are words that are impure, words that are distasteful, words that are deceitful, words that quite frankly are evil. But perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Words like these, perverse words, they not only wound our spirit, but they have a way of coming out of the lip gate and wounding the spirit of other people. And how could we do that? How could we be so callous to think that this person doesn't matter, that it's okay for me just to slander this person, it's okay for me to beat this person down, it's okay for me to talk about this person, it's okay for me to not have respect to this person. Listen, we are all created in the image of God. You deserve respect, I deserve respect, not because I'm anything special, but because Jesus is special. Oh, God help us to take an inventory and consider how our words might best represent Jesus and how our words might affect others. Again, the last part of verse number one says that grievous words stir up anger. And I know some people are thinking, what does that mean? What is, you may have a different version of scripture that gives you another word there, but what are grievous words? Well, I can tell you, grievous words are words that are rough, words that are menacing, words that are scornful or disrespectful or disparaging, words that are condescending or sneering, words that are judgmental or reproachful, words that are reviling, words of condemnation, words that are proud or full of pride. These are the types of words that are grievous and they stir up anger. Oh my God, help us to use our lips in a way that brings him honor and glory. Those types of words I put in my note do not represent the Lord Jesus Christ at all, but again, only serve to represent the greater problem that exists in my heart. By the way, there's a principle, and I'm closing, honestly. There's a principle from Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 6. You can search it out for yourself that says this. We need to be real careful about observing the moat in our brother or sister's eye. 
before recognizing and removing the beam out of our own. What I mean by that in this context is we need to be careful about judging somebody else's words without taking time to do a spiritual inventory of our words. It's easy to be critical. It really is. It's easy to be selfish. It really is. It's easy to condemn and to criticize. It's harder sometimes to encourage. It's harder to see the good in people when you can't see the good. All right? It's harder to look beyond somebody's faults. It's harder to do it. But guess what? Jesus was able to look beyond the faults of people and see the good that existed in them. Oh, may God help us to use our words that represent him well, but to use our words understanding how they might affect others. Instead of criticizing how somebody speaks or what even maybe they say, we should resolve, we should resolve to speak in such a way that sets a proper biblical example, not only for them, but for others. Proverbs 10.20 says, The tongue of the just is as choice silver. 10.31, The mouth of the just brings forth wisdom. 12.14, A man shall be satisfied by the good, by the fruit of his mouth. 25.11, Proverbs 25.11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Oh, we should always be willing to speak truth. Don't get me wrong. Don't go away from here and say, oh, well, he's become a little flamby-bamby. He's a little soft today talking about words. No, we should all be willing to speak truth. But guys, there's nowhere in this book that says we ought to do it in a way that dishonors God. Nowhere. I started out the message by saying this. I said words are incredibly powerful. I finished the message by saying the exact same thing. Words are incredibly powerful, which is why Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 and following, I have uttered these words many, many times to you. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And notice verse 32, and be ye, what does it say? Say that word, kind. Can you go out of these doors and be kind? Yes, you can. But you're going to have to hide God's word in your heart. Can you go out from these doors and be tender-hearted or forgiving? Yes, you can. But you're going to have to hide God's word in your heart. You're going to have to listen to what people say before you start speaking. You're going to have to consider how your words might represent Jesus. You're going to have to consider how your words might affect one another. But yes, we can go away from here. We can be kind. We can be tender-hearted. We can forgive one another as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. Oh, may God help us to use our words wisely. Not only today, but tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.